welcome to Skin Out, a podcast celebrating all the people them that want to skin out, enjoy and show out. These are the stories of people of colour taking up space in the kink and fetish scene. I'm your host, Tony, and I hope you're ready because we're about to go on a sexual journey. In each episode, we'll meet a brand new guest, delve into their sexual past and tread alongside them as they divulge their exploits and desire. Today, there's no guest. It's just me. I figured if we're going to be trapezing down sexual memory lane with other people, me and you ought to get familiar with each other first. I'm a queer and polyamorous black woman, pronounced she, her. I'm a little bit of a self-proclaimed baby gay because truthfully, I've only really been dating women and thems very recently. And I'm a storyteller. I write short stories and poetry mainly, but in the last three years, I've been telling stories online. It started when I wrote this personal essay called Black Women Need to Come To. I wrote it after I had my very first orgasm at 23, back in 2020. I ordered this toy called Satisfier, and it was this precision-driven toy that rocked my world and changed my world for the better. It was a fateful afternoon. I was bored, as you usually are during the pandemic, and I thought I'd just give it a try. My host mum back in Spain, where I was living before the pandemic hit, she told me how this little toy took Spain and Europe by a storm. And there was this carnival that we were at and someone was dressed up as a life-sized satisfier. So of course, you know, I was sold on it. I wanted to see what the hype was all about. So I turned some music on. I lay down in my bed. Still had my robe on, a big fluffy robe on, because I wanted to muffle the sound because I knew vibrators could be quite loud. So I'm there. It's vibrating away. It's sucking away because it is a clitoral suction toy. And I'm sitting there for a while like, hmm, I don't think this is really doing anything. This is not working. But then it just crept up on me. One minute I was fine, the next minute I was arriving in what could only be described as pleasure, but also it was very intense sort of pleasure. I felt like, you know, even to this day, I can't, I can't fully describe how I felt, but I knew that I was onto something, that this was different. This was something I'd never, ever experienced before. And I'm sorry to all the men that I've, I fucked before that. And I told you that I had an orgasm. <laughs> I clearly had no idea what I was talking about. Because what I experienced that afternoon shocked me to my core. Earth shattering. And so I tried it again, naturally, because um, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a one-off. And then it happened again. And then it happened a third time. I can't tell you how happy it made, that made me feel. I jumped to my phone, opened up my close friends list on Instagram, and I was like, hey guys, have you heard of the Satisfier? It's going to rock your world. It is fucking amazing. I documented the experience to a few close friends. And at the time, I had my aunt on my close friends list because I thought she was a cool aunt. And so I'm talking and raving about this stuff. And I had a few other family friends on there who I thought were okay. They were not okay. So I'm sharing all this joy and this happiness that I had an orgasm because I felt like I'd been robbed. I had been truly missing out. And it was for a number of reasons why I was missing out, really. But I was missing out. I finally got to experience what 
I saw in the movies and what everyone else was talking about. Because for a long time, I used to be so upset that I've never had an orgasm. I was like, what's wrong with me? Surely there's something wrong with me that I'm not having the same experience as other people. So there's me, overjoyed by this new revelation, this new discovery, this newfound sexual energy. And I'm sharing with people, I'm like, hey guys, I, this is amazing. And then my aunt messages me saying, what are you doing? You can't be talking about this sort of stuff online. She wasn't the only one who was saying these kind of things. During that time period, I was getting people talking to my mum, not me, and they were saying, am I okay? Is something wrong with Tony? Is she having a mental break? I don't, you know what, they didn't say mental break, but I feel like they were just, they must have said that, they must have thought that I was crazy. And they were talking to my mum about it, and they were saying, oh, you know, Tony is this responsible, intelligent person. She's this role model. What is she doing? Why is she talking about orgasms on Instagram? And I was pissed. I was so upset that they were taken away from this joyous moment that I decided to share with my close friends and them who I, ha who I thought were cool people who would understand and, you know, be happy for me. But instead, they were shaming me. And that's a very common theme with black women's sexuality. I was so, so pissed that I wrote this personal essay. I wrote Black Women Need to Come To. And it was about my first ever orgasm at 23 and talking about the taboos around female masturbation and female sexuality within the black community as a whole anyway. Black girls are sexualized from a young age. They are adultified. They are hypersexualized. But then we're not given the same sort of freedoms as we get older or even as teenagers really to explore that sexuality and to figure out what we actually like and to do so freely. Instead, we're expected to then boop, become adults, have kids, have sex, get married, and we're meant to please other people. And our pleasure is seen as secondary. That wasn't going to cut it for me. <laughs> so after I wrote this seething personal essay, I wouldn't say seething, I wasn't that angry when I was writing. Most of my writing was very understanding because I understood where they were coming from, you know, because they were just jealous that I was having orgasms and they weren't. <laughs> The essay got a lot of positive feedback from my friends. Everyone was really happy for me. And it got a really good reception. I was like, oh, maybe I should keep talking about this sort of stuff. Maybe I should keep talking about sex. So I kept talking about sex on, um, on my Instagram. Not on close friends anymore. I was being more brazen. I was being more open, more transparent. And I did what any self-respecting Gen Z millennial cusp young person would do. And I started a YouTube channel talking all things sex and relationships. And before you knew it, I was this chaotic, chronic oversharer on any platform that would have me. I've been on my own sexual revolution journey since that fateful afternoon. And I've been taking all my friends along the ride with me. And I've met some incredible people along the way. And that's why I started this podcast. I wanted to share my story and theirs in the hopes that, you know, it will awaken something in you, or at the very least, open your mind to possibilities unexplored. Now I had my first orgasm back in 2020, and that was the catalyst, the moment that everything came gushing out. But to understand why that happened when it did, we need to go back even further, all the way back to younger me. I've always had a lot of responsibility put on me, and I was always this mature, well, I was told I was very mature for my age. I'd come to the UK, I was about six or seven. I was 
deathly shy. And I found something that I was really good at. I was really good with the computer. So in my house, I became the computer person. And so I spent a lot of time on it. And there was one day I was on the computer as usual. And I stumbled upon a porn site. I didn't really know what porn was at the time. I don't think I'd seen it on TV at that point. You know, I hadn't stayed up late enough to see those sex infomercials. So that was the first time I was really seeing sex. I think I was probably around like eight years old eight nine years old and I saw it and I was seeing adult people having sex seeing boobs seeing tits seeing pussy seeing dicks seeing naked bodies for the first time in this sort of way and I was also seeing to my horror cartoon characters also doing sex acts I was seeing Bart and Lisa Simpson having sex and I was like whoa that's that's not right that's weird but then my curiosity got the better of me and I uh I kept going back to these sites because I wanted to see what else was on there. And back then, I didn't know if anything really about viruses or whatever could happen as a consequence of going on these sites. But eventually, I picked up a virus. And no matter where you clicked on the computer screen, a pop-up would come up about sex and videos and it'd be very graphic. My mum saw these pop-ups and she was, she was livid. She was like, what the fuck is happening to this computer? Why are there porn sites? Now, I remember I'm eight years old. She doesn't suspect that it's me. <laughs> Instead, she goes off to my uncle. She accuses him of going on porn sites on, her, on the computer that we all share. And I'm there in the corner knowing full well it is me who did this. But I let him take the blame because a part of me knew that what I was doing and what I was looking at was very, very wrong. And I did not want to get in trouble. I did not want to be the bad person. So I let him take the fall and to this day I have not told my mum or my uncle that it was me who did that until now that is. So the way my mum reacted to these pop-ups reaffirmed what I had thought initially that these porn sites and what I was watching what I was interested in looking at and curious about was a bad thing. So I was like okay I shouldn't do it I'm not going to do it again. Once we got the virus off the computer I never went back on the porn sites again. Fast forward to around 14, 15, I was getting a bit more curious about sex again. That's when I started masturbating. At that age, I didn't know too much about dildos and vibrators. So I did what any savvy and entrepreneurial horny bastard would do at that time. And I used an object that was not meant for insertion in my, in my vagina. And I used that as a dildo. It was a perfume bottle. I can't remember the brand of it. I want to say it was Versace, but I don't think it was Versace. It was a purple bottle and it had like nubs on it. So it wasn't just purely cylinder. It had curves. So it felt nice putting it inside me. And I kept putting it inside me. And again, I knew what I was doing was wrong or I believed what I was doing was wrong. So after every time I used it, I would hide it. I would wrap it up and put it under my bed. And then my mum found it. You would think by that point I would know that my mum would always find these things. But I was 14 and it was under my bed and there was no one else I could blame it on. And if you see a perfume bottle hidden away under the bed and wrapped up, clearly meant to not be seen, it's very easy to figure out what someone was doing with that perfume bottle. My mum was very angry and I was essentially shamed for masturbating. I was told that it was not a cleanly thing to be doing. It's not what girls do. It's nasty. It's all sorts of negative things. And I felt 
so incredibly guilty about what I had done, even though what I had done felt nice and felt good and other people were doing it. So why can't I? I felt so shamed and so guilty that it actually created a bit of a complex for me. I didn't touch myself for such a long time after that. And whenever my friends would talk about masturbation or anything like that, I would always say that I prefer the real deal. I prefer the real thing. I don't want to do anything to myself because that's not okay. And even with my partners as well, it took me a long time to get comfortable them touching my vulva and my intimate area. And I would always say that it was just too sensitive. I didn't like them touching my clit. And to be fair, my clit was very sensitive, but I think that's because I just didn't touch it. I don't know if that's scientifically proven, but maybe. So yeah, I, I developed this complex from 14 that masturbation was bad, touching myself was bad, I wasn't going to do it, can't do it. Fingering was kind of okay, I guess. But even then, I wasn't 100% on it. And it took me a long time to get over that. So even though I lost my virginity at 15, I was the first person, I think I was one of the first persons of my friends to have sex, or the first one to actually admit it. I was seen as this sexual person, but I was actually quite clueless about my sexual self because I was afraid to touch myself for such a long time. I would read like Cosmo and all these other stuff and get well-versed in the sexual sphere and be like, yeah, sex is fun, sex is cool, sex is no big deal. I'm this mature for my age person. So let me just do what all the adults are doing. Let me have sex at 15 and just go for it. The sex I was having was sex that I thought I should be doing. And even though I enjoyed elements of it, looking back, I was definitely just doing it to fill a void. And I was also having sex in ways that weren't necessarily how I wanted to have sex. Or I didn't really know how I wanted to have sex anyway. But I was in spaces where my pleasure wasn't really centered. So it didn't really give me an opportunity to figure out what I actually wanted from sex and what I liked. So instead I ended up doing stuff like, I did a sex, I remember I did the sex tape and it was my idea. I'd done it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. You know, it's sexy, it's hot, guys like that sort of shit. The motivation behind me doing a sex tape back then, I think I was like 15, weren't because I wanted to do it for myself, it was because I was doing it because I wanted to please my partner and I wanted to make sure that I was doing all the right things I was supposed to do. I didn't explore my wants or my desires, and I ended up doing things that that took me a long time to unlearn. Like, at the beginning of me having sex, I did a lot of um, acts of degrading, so name-calling, like being called a slut or whore, and that was because that's what I saw in porn, but it, it wasn't actually stuff I actually liked to be called. I didn't realise it until recently that I hate that. It was also around that time that I realised I didn't just like men. It's around 14, no, around 15, 16, 17, 14. I'm putting out loads of numbers here, but around that time, I realised that I didn't just like men. I went to an all-girls secondary school and I remember being so homophobic. Well, not super homophobic, but like fearful that... I didn't want to be a lesbian. I remember there were some other girls who were older and people were always talking about them being gay and it was never really in a good way. And me 
desperately wanting to fit in wherever I went. I was like, nah, that's not me. I'm not gay. I don't like women like that. I did. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but the internalized homophobia came from that environment, but also from my family as well. Like, it wasn't really seen as a good thing. It really wasn't. And so there wasn't a lot of encouragement or support around me surrounding homosexuality or queerness. So for a long time, I internalized all of that and I didn't feel comfortable pursuing relationships with women. It got to a point where I was, I started starting to get comfortable, but then in my head, I was like, oh no, I could only ever fuck women. I couldn't have a relationship with a woman. And that was really messed up. And I'm really ashamed to say that it took me a long time to question and challenge myself around that logic. Why was it okay for me to use a woman for sex, but I couldn't see myself in a romantic relationship with them? It meant questioning and looking inwardly into my upbringing, and then also why I was thinking those things. And the reason why I was thinking it is because of my upbringing and what I was seeing growing up and what I internalized. And then it took a lot of work to unlearn all of those things and to feel comfortable within myself to be like, yeah, that was fucked up and I was really wrong, but I don't want to do that anymore. And that's why I'm a baby gay, <laughs> because it took a very, very long time before I was comfortable being able to date women. And I didn't want to continue in the way I was before where I could only see them as sexual beings rather than entire beings as I was, as I was seeing men. So I ended up dating men up until I was like 23. Yeah, I want to say up till 23, I mostly dated, if not 99.9%, .9%, all the people that I had sex with, had relations with were men. I went through them like water. And honestly, I feel like the orgasm, as cliche as it sounds, that orgasm changed everything. It's when I started to feel a bit more comfortable, like looking introspectively. And it was also at the same time that I was exploring non-monogamy. Like I said before, I was going through my like water. I was very non-committal. I always felt kind of stifled in relationships. And it could just be because I wasn't fine. I wasn't with the right people. But then the more and more I was learning about non-monogamy, the more I was starting to realise that maybe I was just in the wrong relationship style. And I want to preface this by saying that it wasn't the first time I'd heard about non-monogamy. I definitely heard about it in my early 20s. At the time, I was vehemently against it. I was like, I cannot do that shit. I am so jealous. Why am I not good enough? Why... Why am I being shared? And I think it has to do as well to, with the fact that in Jamaican and Caribbean households, you see a lot of guys with several children and single mothers. And that's what I was looking at. And that's what I was drawing comparisons to because in my head, I was like, that seems great for men, but what about the women? Which is the most commonly used argument by extreme feminists who don't like non-monogamy because they think that it's only suitable for men and the women are being used. So I, it wasn't the first time I heard about non-monogamy, but I guess I wasn't ready to really face those hard-hitting questions of, of uh, looking into myself and understanding and questioning why I would be jealous about certain aspects of that and why I didn't like it. So at 23, I was this evolved person. I was an evolved Scorpio <laughs> and I was ready to start thinking a bit more seriously about what I wanted out of my life, what I wanted out of my relationships, out of my relationships with sex as well. And I liked that 
it had me thinking about different aspects of myself because in previous relationships I'm not going to pretend I was a saint I was an awful toxic human being I was manipulative I was very withdrawn pretty sure I did some gaslighting as well I was awful and I learned from those relationships and I was trying so hard to become a better version of myself and I definitely feel like non-monogamy has helped me become a better version of myself and continues to help me become a better version of myself because in order for non-monogamy to work you have to put in a lot of effort and there are some things within that that have helped me grow like communication communication is so fucking key for non-monogamy you have to communicate with your partner and the other partners about your needs expectations and it's that transparency that i really like about things i'm not a huge fan of ambiguity i feel like i'm a bit of a low-key control freak but i like to have the facts clearly laid out in front of me uncertainty just doesn't vibe with me and that's definitely why i like non-monogamy so much because in order for it to work you have to be transparent and i definitely feel like my communication skills have become so much better since exploring non-monogamy and polyamory you know i'm not afraid to talk about my boundaries or to talk about what i want and how i'm feeling and if you knew me when i was younger i was so fucking shy and i would just let things bottle up inside me and i would explode and just cut people off and it wasn't healthy for anyone it definitely wasn't healthy for me but now now i have the the confidence and the sort of tools i guess to communicate how i'm feeling and what i want and it's beautiful and it's great and i don't think i could go back from that and then came their play parties I'd always been interested in sex parties. Actually, no, why am I saying always? I wasn't always interested in sex parties. I didn't even know what sex parties existed. But I, there was a, a show I was watching, The Bold Type, I think it's what it's called. And one of the scenes was one of the characters going to a sex party. And that reminded me that I wanted to go to a sex party. So imagine this, where it's summer, it's one of those hot days, and I'm roller skating with some people, some friends. I mentioned to one of them that I really want to go to a sex party. And guess what? One of them happens to have been going to sex parties for ages. So we hung out and they took me to my first sort of introduction into a sex party. So this first party I went to was more like a social, like a sexy social. And it was called a freedom party because this was when lockdown restrictions had officially lifted. We were free. So we went to the social. It was in Shoreditch at the book club. It wasn't a play event, so there was no sex. It was just socialising, dancing and being fucking free because we weren't locked down anymore. And I was there dressed up all kinky. Everyone was so, so friendly and it was such a vibe. And even though it wasn't a play party, at one point in the night, I was kissing people. And then I know, I know the pandemic wasn't over and there's germs. I could have caught COVID, but fuck it. It was freedom party. I was there, I was kissing people, and at one point of the night as well, there was a couple, a guy and a girl. Somehow, somehow, my top came undone, my tits were out, and I had the girl and the guy on each nipple sucking my tits. Now you tell me, after that happened, are you not going to want to go to an actual play party? Exactly. I had the best time. I had the best time, and it was, and that was just a soft launch into the kink and fetish scene. I was just like, hmm. I'm ready. Take me to the real thing. I'm ready. 
My first proper play rave wasn't until about a month or so after that initial party. It was in Fabric, so it was a much bigger venue, loads more people than the social was. And it was like my first proper one. So I was wearing this plaid skirt, fishnets, bodysuit. I hung out with the people that I'd met at the social to start with. But then something sort of changed. The mood shifted a little bit internally, not outwardly. Everyone was having fun. But internally, something shifted within me. And I was looking around, surrounded by so many people. And I got very overwhelmed. This was like the first proper club night after the pandemic lifted. And it was a lot of people for me to be dealing with. And it was a new environment. I didn't know anyone. I mean, shout out to the people I went with. They were great, but I didn't know them. So I told them I was going for a walk. I was going to get some water. I got some water, did a few laps around the venue. And I was starting to shake. I was having a panic attack at that point. I, I was really, really ready to leave. But then I saw that there was this, um, I can't remember the proper name they called it, but it's basically like a chill out room where you could go and just get away from the noise. So I went in there. I was trying so, so hard not to cry. So I was like pinching myself, like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. But then it just all came out. I started crying, started crying. And there was no stopping the tears. I couldn't understand why. It's like, why am I crying? There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> and I'm so eternally grateful for the person that was in that room because they saw me clearly distressed and they came over, they worked for the, the organisers and they started talking to me and they gave me tea, some biscuits and they just talked to me. And that was enough to get those tears to stop and I could breathe again. And I felt like it was going to be okay. I stayed in that room for about maybe half an hour. I wasn't talking a whole lot, but it was nice that there was a space that you could go to and take a break from everything because understandably, it could be very overwhelming for your first time, especially if you're like me and you weren't alone. So after half an hour, I came out and coincidentally, I bumped into my friend who brought me to my first party. They were working that night, so they weren't really available to kind of hang out with me, but they were on that break during that time. And they were other people and they introduced me. From there, I was able to be around other people that I kind of got to know and they made it more easier. I, I felt a bit more relaxed and I started to have some fun. I played that night for the first time and that was a really fun experience. And I didn't get home to about 11 a.m. the next morning. It was a very fucking great night, even though there was a hiccup in the middle. I am so happy that I stuck around and made those memories, made those connections and gave it like a, a fair chance because I really wanted to be there. Like it was a truly liberating sort of space and I wanted to be liberated and to feel free. That experience was great in so many levels because it was like a stepping stone, I guess, in me discovering my sexuality and discovering parts of me. And there's finally a space and it's around people who are also very sexually free and very sex positive and very queer as well. That was a bonus because I didn't have a lot of queer friends. It was through being in these spaces that I was able to explore my wants and my desires and learn about new things that I had no idea about in the first place. Meeting all these new people who were so open and so welcoming and willing to answer my questions was amazing. It was truly amazing. 
I was able to discover some kinks I didn't know I had. So you know how I didn't like being degraded in the bedroom? I realized that I actually have a bit of a praise kink. I like to be encouraged. I like to be praised in the bedroom instead. I knew that I liked these sort of things, but it was something altogether different when you have a name for it. And that helps you kind of communicate what it is you like. And more recently, I've been experimenting with being a bunny. I didn't think I would be into those sort of things. Because, you know, there's people in the scene who, who, are, who are pigs, who are dogs, who are cats. And I like watching them. But I didn't think I was one of them. But then I got this bunny mask and this pink latex outfit. I became a bunny. And there's something about it that transforms me. And I discovered recently why that is. It's because bunnies are this delicate, soft creatures and no one would want to hurt a bunny. So therefore, no one's going to want to hurt me. This is very psychological, these kinks. And when I'm this bunny, I'm in a submissive state. And that's not always the case, you know. I would say I'm more switchy. I've been exploring my dom side as well, but I've been enjoying this bunny side of me as well. Every step of the way of me discovering different aspects of myself, I've been talking and sharing all on social media and of course with the people I've been meeting in the community as well. I've been sharing the missteps and the joy of this discovery because there's definitely been missteps. It's not all glitter and rainbows, unfortunately. And I'm nowhere near finished discovering and exploring parts of myself. I don't think anyone ever really finishes doing that, you know? There's always something new to discover about yourself that you don't realise until you're put in that situation. And my guests are definitely a testament to that. From the newbies to the kinky veterans, everyone is still exploring. And I can't wait for you to meet them all, truly. Well, it was lovely to meet you. I really enjoyed our little tattletat. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and you're gagging for the next taste, Give us a follow and subscribe. Give us a good rating on wherever you're listening to this podcast. Share far and wide and follow us on social media. Let me know your thoughts and let's carry on this conversation with the hashtag SkinOutPod. I'll see you next week.